a shout of praise before you sit down? Can we be excited about that? Come on. Just to lose our ever-loving minds when we sing that song. Just absolutely lose it. Um, all right, kids, y'all can go ahead and go to City Light Kids. We love you. We're praying for you. So excited for that. Parents, you can let your kids go towards the back. We have servant leaders that will take them, or you can walk them back yourself if you like. Uh, for those of you who speak Spanish as your heart language, your first language, we have our Spanish Bible study. We'd love for you to join us in room 120. Uh, open your Bible to Luke 12 is where we're going to be this morning. And as we get started, uh, we're going to go ahead and take our offering and go ahead and jump into that. Uh, and the sermon today is actually about generosity. So uh, we're going to take the offering now, though. And, and if you're compelled to give more later, you can do that. Um, a quick couple things as we open up. Uh, the first, and I'm not even going to get into all this, but just FYI, we are aware of coronavirus and all that stuff, uh, and we're watching what things are doing, what churches are doing, what the recommendations are. So for now, it's just, come on, let's use your common sense. Don't, don't dap people up today. Give them a little, one of these, one of these. Uh, say hi, whatever it might be. Uh, take those normal precautions, all right? <laughs> yeah, okay, somebody's very excited about that. <laughs> Uh, we don't even, a lot of churches were like, man, we can't do our meet and greet time. And I was like, we don't even do that. Maybe we should, but not today. Uh, and so anyways, if anything gets crazy serious, we're aware, and we'll communicate that with you guys. Uh, but for now, just use uh, common sense and be as, as clean as possible uh, when you're gathered together in a large place like this. Wash your hands a lot for 20 seconds, all right? Do that. Don't wash them for three seconds, which most of us do. Uh, 20 seconds. So uh, secondly, uh, we have a thing called Merch for Missions, which is basically awesome swag and all the proceeds go towards missional efforts either with the City Light Center or one of our overseas relationships that we're working on. Uh, whatever that plays out with, it gets set aside and used for that. So in the cafeteria after service, you can go get some swag uh, and just know that all the proceeds are going to further the mission of God. Uh, every single cent that's made above the cost to get uh, will go towards the mission. So Merch for Missions, we're going to have every season different swag opportunities for you. Uh, and there's not a ton of it because we didn't want to overbuy it. So if you really want something, you better get there quick because it's going to go fast. Uh, so towards the more important things, God's word. We're going to be in Luke 12, like I said. Uh, last week, we started our, this part of Luke where we're talking about priorities. So the first part was about the purpose of Jesus. Why did he come? Which was to bring good news. The second part was about the process of Jesus. What did he do? How can we do it the same way? And basically, we summarize that as reach, restore, and repeat. Go serve and reach people. Help restore them by teaching them the way of Jesus. And then do that over and over again by repeating and multiplying the things that we do. Uh, last week, the first priority we saw Jesus teach was prayer. And I just want to emphasize how important that time in God's Word was. And I want you to listen to that message online, YouTube, uh, wherever, on the podcast. It's available anywhere. You need to listen to that, not because it's the best sermon ever, but because it needs to get you on the same page with how important prayer is for us. Super, 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 super important. We don't want to just say that. We want to live that out. And so this is going to be important for us to prioritize prayer moving forward. Today, God teaches us about the priority of generosity. The priority of generosity. Or the, the other way I'm going to call this sermon is check your receipts. Check your receipts. Turn to your neighbor and say, check your receipts. Check your receipts. Check your receipts. These days, when anybody wants to give evidence and prove something, the language is, hey, check your receipts. Check, I got receipts, i.e. I got Twitter messages. I got receipts, actual receipts. I got receipts to prove the way I'm saying and what I'm living to prove evidence to you. I got receipts. 
And so we're going to think about what do our receipts say about our lifestyle and what we believe. So check your receipts. Today I didn't want to call it the priority of giving because giving is different than being generous. It's not the priority of giving that's important. It's the priority of generosity. It's a spirit. It's an attitude. It's a lifestyle. It isn't about reaching a minimum, i.e. 10%, by which my conscience can be cleared. It's about reaching a maximum of my ability to give. It's the priority of generosity. What's way more important to me and to Jesus is the spirit, the motivation, and the reason why you're doing what you're doing. That's way more important to Jesus. Not that you're giving a certain amount, but why? What's the motivation? Is it a sacrifice? Are you doing it cheerfully? What does that look like for you? Is it from a spirit and a heart of generosity? Or is it to, to give to clear your conscience? So it's not about giving. I don't even want you to have that in your thoughts. It's about generosity, which goes through your money, but also in your lifestyle. God wants us to prioritize and be a church that prioritizes generosity that we live with a spirit of generosity so today in Luke 12 is about money that's going to be the most important thing we're talking about in terms of what to be generous with and I know some of you especially if you just came here you came to church for the first time here you're like of course of course I came on the day he's going to ask me for some money uh this is what all churches do all they want is my money and I don't know if some of you have seen, uh, I saw a clip the other day of a guy who went to service. He was famous, and uh, the, the pastor was there. He already ran the offering through once, and when he saw the famous person sitting in the front row, he asked for the offering to come again. Uh, and he looked right at the guy and was like, Lord, you know, Lord, somebody in this room needs to give some money this morning. Uh, and I just feel the Lord, you know, and he's just waiting for the rich guy to pull out, the famous rich guy to pull out. Okay, th that's not this, okay? That's not this. That's not this at all. I want you to know I understand what you're thinking. I understand you may have had some bad experiences. I understand not all churches and people deal with money the way that they should. I understand there's real reasons to be frustrated about some Christians who present themselves as Christ followers and only want money and live a lifestyle of abundance. I want you to know that this is not that. And I want you to know the most important thing to me today is not your money but your heart. It's your heart. God is after your heart this morning, and your money is going to tell you where your heart is. Your money is going to be a direct line to you to know what you really love. God is after your heart this morning. I'm after your heart. If you want to know what you love, check your receipts. If you want to know what you love, what you really believe in, check in your seats. And what I want for you today is obedience. I'm after you investing in things that matter. I'm after your joy. I'm after your happiness. I'm after you living a life without unnecessary regret. I'm after your freedom so that we would no longer be enslaved to the things of this world. Those are the things I'm after today that the God's after through this text. And money is simply the means by which we reveal and deal with these things. I want you to be free. The Bible says something you already know to be true by experience. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the words of the Lord, and you know that in your very bones, that when you have given, you have experienced more joy than when you have received. God has hardwired you that way, and so we're so compelled to receive, receive, receive. What I want to do is release you from that today and give you freedom to give and prioritize generosity. So the priority of generosity. I think this is also important and timely as we step into this new space and the new building and begin to build the City Light Center because something we can do is we can either do the City Light Center halfway and be like, oh, that's good enough, or we can go all in, and that's going to require some sacrifice. Here's what a lot of people want to do is I can throw together some programs. 
We can do some things on the surface and look like a really nice church. We can do some things that require little effort and little money, but probably more than some other people around. We can do some things that make us look good, but require no sacrifice whatsoever on our part. And one of the, my scaredest things is that we go into this space and we do it halfway. We can look like we're doing something or we can really do something. You guys hear the difference? We can look like we're doing something. All right, I learned how to do this as a waiter. If you walk around real fast in your restaurant, you don't have to do nothing <laughs> except wait on your tables. If it looks like you got somewhere to go, nobody's going to ask you to bust their table. Nobody's going to ask you to help with anything. Just, just walk real fast. Have your thing in hand. Don't look up. I learned real quick. If I just walk real fast around this place, all I have to do is take care of my own tables. Okay, that's what I learned. I looked like I was doing something. And you guys are all pros at this at work. Don't lie to me. All right, you're a pro. <laughs> You know exactly how to look like you're doing something while you're doing nothing. Everybody knows that, all right? Don't look at me and be like, no, nah, I never do that. I'm a 100% hard worker, okay? We all know how to look like we're doing something while we're doing nothing. This is a normal thing that we know how to do. It's sometimes our default. We would rather appear productive than be productive because productivity comes at a cost. It requires sacrifice, hard work, diligence, prioritizing, letting go. And so my greatest fear in, in this situation for us is we step into this new space and we do just enough to look good because that won't cost us very much. Or we could step all in and say we're going to be generous. Generous. Y'all with me on that? Y'all don't want to do it halfway, do you? Amen. Okay, good. All right. Uh, three of you are like, no, I don't want to do it halfway. That's, that's really encouraging to me. But All right. So, hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so this is going to cost us generosity. We're going to talk about generosity today. So when Jesus teaches generosity, there's three things. They're both two word phrases. Write them down. Number one is be careful. Number two is fear not. And number three is give away. Three principles from Jesus about a generous lifestyle is be careful, fear not, and give away. Be careful, fear not, and give away. So the first is be careful. Luke 12, starting in verse 13, he says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be careful, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We're just going to put a hard stop right there before Jesus gives us a story to prove this. This is his first point, is be careful to take care. To be on guard against all covetousness and greed. You know what I love about this question? Is that Jesus does not care about the question. He doesn't even answer it. He cares about the motive of the guy's heart. He doesn't even say about the arbor. He doesn't even deal with that. He says, why are you asking me about that? What I'm coming to you with is about what's in your heart. And I see the greed in your heart and the motivation behind the question. And what I want you to know today is that your heart is completely exposed before God right now. I might not know it. Your spouse might not even know it, but Jesus knows your heart. You can't hide from him. You can't run away from him. You can't do anything. Jesus knows what's in your heart. And Jesus is going to deal with you today according to what's in your heart. Not according to what the person closest to you thinks, not according to what your pastor thinks, but according to what's in your heart. You can't hide from Jesus today or any day. And so I want you to feel that kind of way when you're thinking about this. Say, Jesus is dealing with you according to your heart. And so he comes at him. This is how he always deals with people all throughout the Bible. You'll notice he never answers the questions they ask him. He's always like, I see your motivation. I'm going to spin this around and boom, stab you in the heart, you know. I'm going to get you. I know exactly what you're thinking and feeling and why you're doing this. And so it's amazing. So Jesus knows your heart this morning and every morning. Don't hide from him. 
So he says to be careful and watch out because money and an abundance of material things can wreck your heart. He knows that. He knows that money and abundance of material things can wreck your heart. So he wants you to be careful, to, 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 to take care, to be on guard. So I want you to think about, I'll see about this, uh, like the feeling you get when you wake up in the middle of the night because you heard a noise, all right? It's like, you know, and you're like, ah, what was that? You wake up, uh, and you know, so I'm the man in the house. So I get up, and I walk around, uh, and I just, you know, I'm looking around. I'm peering, I, I, all that. I'm looking, I'm checking things out. I walk up to see if my kids are okay. I check to see if all the doors are locked. Now, am I just walking around the house like, huh, willy-nilly, you know? Like, no, I have a sense of alertness. I'm on guard. There's a feeling in me that says, man, there's something I might should be careful about, so I'm going to be careful right now. Or it's the same thing if your kids are getting ready to cross the street or whatever your situation may be. There are situations that put you on high alert, on guard, right? Like coronavirus puts you on guard, puts you on alert. Say, what's up? What's going on? Maybe I'll wash my hands more than I normally do because of the situation. So what he's saying is your paycheck or your material possessions are a situation that should put you on high alert. It should create a sense of guard, a sense of, wow, I need to be careful because greed is coming after me. Material possessions are coming after me. And the more I accumulate, the more careful I need to be, even with the little that I have. Remember, this is not an amount issue. It's a heart issue. It's not about whether you're rich. Everybody in this room is world, considering the world around us rich. We all have material possession problems. They're called first world problems. That's what we have. So I don't want you to think, well, I'm not as rich as that guy, or I don't have this or that, or I'm still struggling at a certain level. No, 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 not like that. Jesus is saying you need to be on, care, on guard. You need to be careful. Be careful. So the question for us then is how are you guarding against covetousness? I want you to think about that. Just how are you even prepared against it? Do you budget? How are you guarding? Because your heart is going to lead you to get more and more. And the world's going to lead you to get more and more. And abundance for you, by default, will just grow in abundance for yourself. Nobody is generous accidentally or it just happens. People are generous by choice because they become a generous person because of what Jesus does in their life. So the question for you is how are you guarding against it? And most of us, I think, aren't even thinking about it like a lion's coming to attack us. Like when my paycheck comes in, it's a lion, you know, and I can choose at this point what I'm going to do with it, and I need to be on guard. I need to be careful. I need to be careful. So the first words Jesus says is be careful. Why? Because life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. That's the reason. Life is not about how much you possess, but what you possess. Life is not about how much you possess, but what you possess. This is true when you think about cars and kids, right? doesn't matter. One kid worth more than 10 cars. Not about how much you possess, but what you possess. This is true with relationships and real estate property. More relationships better than more houses. It's not about what you possess. It's not about how much you possess, but what you possess. Abundance is not a matter of quantity, but quality. This is very important for us to think about. What am I obsessing over? What am I possessed by? What am I thinking about? What am I thinking is giving me life? Am I going for quantity or quality of life? What do I possess? Life is not about how much you possess. It does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. It's about what you possess. And the most important thing to possess is a relationship with Jesus. Life is ultimately about your relationship with God. That is the definition of what it means to have or not have life. And if you do not have a relationship with God because of your sin, you haven't trusted in Jesus who died and rose again for you, that means you do not have life no matter how many things you accumulate. 
There is no life to be found without a relationship to God. So the first thing you need to possess by faith is a relationship to God. So some of you in the room need to take that very first step. Say, I've been building my life on things, and God is calling me today to build my life on Him. I actually possess nothing until I possess Him. And once I possess Him, I possess everything. So so important for us. And with the relationship with Jesus comes purpose. And this is going to be something we say a few times today. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions, but the abundance of purpose. There is a God in heaven who loves you. Pursue him. Know him. You have a great purpose to go to him and follow him. There is a reason for you to exist and a difference God has called for you to make in the world. Pursue that. Live with purpose. There is not a shortage of purpose, but there is a shortage of possessions. And so if you spend your life trying to gather possessions, you will never live out your purpose. There is not a shortage of possessions. There's a, there's not, there is a shortage of possessions. There's not a shortage of purpose. And so we spend our whole life trying to get something that can go away and that can't accumulate to life. When God says there's a purpose that never stops unfolding before your life, a reason to live, a God to pursue, a difference to make, a calling to fulfill. And if you would live your life in the purpose that God has given to you, your possessions will just become a tool for your purpose. But so often we prioritize possessions above purpose. Or we think our purpose is to accumulate more possessions. So instead of being possessed by your possessions, I'm encouraging you today to be possessed by your purpose. The purpose God has for your life. To let that be your driving point. To let that be the reason you wake up and go to work. To let that be the reason you care for your kids and you serve people around you. And you do a really good job at work and you're excellent at your spreadsheets or whatever it might be. Let your purpose drive you, not possessions. Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, but in Christ you have an abundance of purpose. And I think so often we've traded purpose for possessions, and now we're flat and we're empty because that doesn't fulfill us. We know, we know that to be true. So Jesus makes a point with a story here. Let me show you. Jesus gives a theological, philosophical point, and then he gives a story. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you said to him, I'll say to my soul, soul, have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and get this, is not rich toward God. It's a really good question that he asked. He said, what shall I do in verse 17? What should I do? I think that's a question many of us need to ask more seriously is, what should I do, Lord, with what you have given me? What should I do? Now, the answer is where he gets mistaken. His answer is build larger and be merrier. His answer is stick this gear in cruise control and ride it out. But I want you to know, and Jesus wants you to know, that there is no cruise control in the Christian life. The goal is not to arrive at a place where you don't have to work anymore. The goal is not to arrive at a place where you don't have to care anymore. The goal is to continue to press in and intentionally give your life to the cause of Jesus. Remember, if your purpose is your workplace, when you retire or lose your workplace, you will lose your purpose. But if your purpose is something you can do everywhere, including your workplace, when you retire from work, you will still have lots of work to do. And if you find your identity in what you do, when that goes away, you're not sure about how you should live. 
That's because our possessions have possessed us. Your identity is not in what you do or in your work. Your identity is in Christ and the purpose that he gives you, which you can do in work, outside of work, in a family, outside of family, single, married, whatever. You can live that purpose no matter your context in life. This is so important for us. So important for us to understand. So the question for us here is are you living for now or later? This is a, a major worldview crisis that's happening around us and in this text. He has an abundance, so the question he asks himself is, what do I do now? And he does not consider, how should I prepare for later? The question he asks himself is, how can I maximize my enjoyment now without ever considering how can I not only serve others, but maximize my enjoyment later? How can I invest and receive a return on my investment? This is what Jesus wants to teach us is the principle of giving and being generous is so that you invest and let God give a return on your investment. Do you want to maximize your money and time and resources? Give them to God and you will maximize your benefit in heaven forever. You could either receive a temporary return on investment that will go away or you can, as we're going to see later, put treasures in heaven and receive an eternal return on investment that never stops coming back to you in your experience in heaven with the Lord. So the question for us is, based off on our abundance, I'm going to give you three questions based off this parable. Are you planning your life for eternal or temporary enjoyment? That's really the heart of what's going on here. This is heart. I have an abundance, so now I need to decide, is it for now or for later? And so many of us are saying, man, let me get what I can now. And God is saying, I want you to plan your life and your abundance and your material possessions, your schedule and your time and your bank account according to eternal enjoyment, not temporary enjoyment. And of course, that's not to say there won't be temporary enjoyment. Yes, you know, that's fine. It's not to say you got to give everything away and just walk around homeless every day. Of course not. But it is to say, plan your life accordingly. Where are you expecting to receive the greatest return on your investment? In heaven or here? Are you planning your life for eternal or temporary enjoyment? Look at this next phrase. He says, so the guy makes a decision, and then God says, this night your soul will be required of you. Ooh, we hate that phrase. We hate it because it's my soul, my body, my life. And God's like, nope. No, it's not. He says, this night it's required of you, meaning I can take it when I want. It's mine. Your life is mine, God says. And some of you are like, you know. And that's part of the reason why we reject God is because we don't want that to be true. And I would like to live deceived thinking my life is my choice. And I am in charge. And I am in control. And God says, hey, hey, look, man. I know you feel very proud of yourself, and I know you're very accomplished. You're probably very respected in your society and very important. But tonight, I'm going to show you that you're nothing without me. I'm going to require your life from you, your soul from you. I'm going to require it now, and you don't even have another chance. You made your decision. And I want you to feel the weight of that, to think that's how the Lord is with us. And he's so kind and merciful and gracious, even allowing us to come here and, and try to adjust our life according to his priorities and live for him and, and the mercy and grace to hear from his word and change and be obedient and make a difference. But the Lord is very earnest in this. He says, you are a borrower, not an owner of your resources. You're a steward. You're a borrower, not an owner. You own nothing, nothing, nothing. I own nothing. 
Everything, everything, breath, resources, time, energy, effort, health, is a gift from God to be stewarded as a borrower, not an owner. And the reason we use our finances and time and energy and we're not generous is because we consider ourselves owners that we have the right to decide what to do with what we have. And I choose to give God 10%, and that makes me a good Christian. As opposed to, and listen, 10% is not a bad number. If that's the right number for you, that's fine. I'm not dragging on that. But we just default without thinking about how can I be generous. As opposed to, man, God has given me this, and now how much of it can I give back? You know, I need to feed myself, I can feed my kids, all this basically, you know that. But how much of it can I return back into the kingdom? Are you a borrower or an owner? Are you making a decision like a borrower or an owner? Because the way we treat other people's stuff is way different than the way we treat our stuff. Especially if the other person is bigger and stronger than us. Are you a borrower or an owner? Check your receipts and you'll know. Check your receipts and you'll know. Are you a borrower or an owner? The last thing he says here in this parable is he says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And I love that because it's either one or the other. There is no in-between. You're either laying up treasure for yourself or you're being rich toward God. There's nothing in between. It's either I'm building my kingdom or I'm building God's kingdom. I'm laying up treasure for myself or I'm being rich and generous towards God, which is a really funny phrase because God doesn't need your generosity or your riches. Uh, but the point is being, I, you need to be rich and generous towards God, not because he needs you to be, but because you need you to be. You're designed that way, and you will function the best and receive the greatest reward in heaven for eternity if you're generous and rich towards God. You'll be happier, you'll be freer, you'll be different because you are rich towards God. It's not because God needs what you have, because you need to release what you have. This is very different. But the contrast here is stark. You have two options. Are you investing or wasting? Those are the only two options with your resources. Are you investing and helping grow the kingdom and making kingdom impact? Or are you wasting? Are you wasting? Check your receipts. Are you investing or are you wasting? So be careful. Be careful. Be careful. The next thing is fear not. And I love how Jesus does this because he knows now what he has said is going to make you anxious. It's going to make you worried. It's going to make you wonder. It's going to make you a fearful. It's going to make you afraid. If I live this kind of lifestyle, Jesus, what does that mean for boom, 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 boom? And because he knows you're a heart, the very next example he gives you is about not being anxious. I'm telling you, the Bible's really good. It's really helpful. He wrote it perfectly on purpose. This is not an accident, like, oh, that works out great. I feel anxious now, and now there's a word about anxiety. Thank you. No, every part of the Bible works like this. Jesus is perfect. He wrote a perfect book. It's very helpful. Give yourself to the Bible. Read the Bible. Let the Bible give you life. You don't need a pastor to stand up here and tell you exactly what this means every time. You can learn it and grow for yourself. Read the Bible, and I'll come help you as much as I can. I hope Sunday mornings help you in any way I can help you. Read the Bible. But you can do it with the Holy Spirit in you. Read the Bible. It's very, 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 very super, super, super helpful. Okay, this is awesome. So Jesus says, fear not. That's this next, next word. So he said to his disciples, because he knows they're feeling anxious, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. Get this in verse 23. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. If you just sit with that for a minute, it'll start to really mess with you. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. 
Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they neither have storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And if you, you, by being anxious, can you add a single hour of span to your life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, that's a small thing, God says, to add an hour to your life. God's like, okay, I do that like this, an hour, you know, 10 hours, 10 years. If that's a small thing, you can't do that. Then why are you anxious about the rest? That's fascinating. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. That's, I want you to see, I don't think that's a shot. Like, oh, you of little faith, you're so pathetic. I think it's an, an, an ex- explanation. Like the reason you have this anxiety now is because you have little faith. You're not trusting him. Right? And this term is not about anxiety. I'm not going to get into the fact that medicine is helpful, all that. Okay? I'm not over-spiritualizing the issue. But it is a primarily spiritual issue that God wants to provide helpful solutions for. And there's an issue of faith that's at play in our anxiety. And he says, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. These are things people say, and you're like, you don't understand me. <laughs> don't be worried. <laughs> You know, of course you're not worried. You're not going through what I'm going through. And I want you to hear this from Jesus. People may do it insensitively and without knowledge and understanding, but Jesus doesn't. Jesus says, hey, don't you worry. Why? For the nations of the world seek these things. And your father, get this, knows that you need them. God doesn't over-spiritualize your life either. He knows you need food. He knows you need things to take care of your family. He knows those things are a reality. Instead, he says, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Now here's his verse. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You need to memorize that verse. 32. That'll change your life. Fear not, little flock. It is the father's good pleasure. He loves to give you the kingdom. He loves to bless you. So Jesus knows that we're anxious. That if we live this way, we become vulnerable. We become uncertain about the future. And he doesn't say, well, just get over it. No. His answer to our fear and our anxiety is fear not. And the reason we ought not to fear is because God loves you like a father. Because he is your father. You have to sit in this, that God values you and he delights in you. And it is his pleasure, his pleasure, not his obligation to provide for you. He cares about you more than you care about yourself. He cares about your kids more than you care about your kids. God loves you more than you could ever know or understand. And until we tap in to the faith that comes out of believing that God is really my provider and he delights to give me the kingdom, until we tap into that, there will be no acts of faith. Like we talked about last week, there are no acts of faith without a foundation of trust. There are no acts of faith without a foundation of trust. And some of us aren't living a life of faith because we're trying to live a life of control because we don't really trust. And remember, like we said, you can't live a life of faith until you release control. Faith requires that we release control and that we trust God's provision and that we trust God to take care of us. That we trust God to do things only God can do. If we do not really believe God loves us like this, we will not trust him enough to sacrifice. You have to see his heart here is to say, I'm going to take care of you as long as I want you and need you here. And when it's time for you to go, then you'll go. But you'll have everything you need until I call you home. 
And so this is so important for us to say, God loves me. God is for me. In that space, I become generous because I'm freed from having to control the outcome of my life. Now, it's not to say I'm stupid and not to say I don't plan and have wise counsel and use my money and invest it wisely. Of course, all those things count and ways to use your money well. But he's saying that there should be an element in which the way I use my resources requires a ton of faith. And that's really the question for us is does your generosity level require any increase in faith? Does your level of generosity require an increase in faith? Does it require you to trust? Or are you able to be generous at that level and still be pretty confident about your control of your life? And God says, no, 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 I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. And that's going to be different for so many of us what that means practically. But the element of trust has to be there. Does my lifestyle necessitate trust? Does my level of generosity necessitate trust? What does that look like for me? Like I said in verse 23, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Once again, I just want to point out that the point isn't primarily material. That, of course, we need those things. And he says the Father knows that you need them. But real life is not defined by the abundance of your possessions or even by having the things that you need. Real life is defined by something immaterial, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he's saying life is more than a paycheck. And if you were to not get a paycheck and die because you did not have a paycheck, if you had Jesus, you would still have life. And that would be okay. And that would really be terrible for a moment. But then you would enter into eternity with Jesus. And you would find that you never lost anything. Because your life is not found in the size of your house or the amount of your cars or your 401k or anything that you can have that would make you feel better that you have more control. Because most of our reason for accumulating possessions isn't probably greed, it's fear. We're afraid. I, don't, I wouldn't say a ton of you in this room are overly greedy, and I don't know your hearts, but my assumption is that. You guys are very generous. This has been a very generous church, and we're super thankful for that. My interactions with you don't tell me you're overly greedy. And I think the reason, and some of you might be, and I'm not giving you an excuse to be greedy, okay? If the Lord is telling you you're greedy, you're greedy, okay? You need to listen to that. God knows your heart. But most of the reasons we accumulate and accumulate is because we're afraid. And we think life consists in my ability to control my outcomes and my future and my ability to maintain and provide. And God says, no, life is more than that. And we get stuck in this wheel of only living for that. And we call ourselves Christians, but we're just trying to survive the day to day. And we're not even living the purpose that God has for us because we have thought and been mistaken that life is primarily about how I can provide and the things I can put on and the food that I can take and eat and the things that I need and the paycheck that I get. And as much as those are important, and once again, God's not over-spiritualizing it. You need food. He wants to provide food for you. This is how he made the world. But at the same time, he's saying your life, real life, is more than that. It's more than that. It's more than that. More than that. It's just so important for us. So are you living with that in mind? Are you living with that in mind, that life is about being in Jesus Christ, that life is about an abundant relationship with him? So Jesus finishes this thing about fear not. He says, I want you to seek the kingdom first. Oh, don't be afraid. And because you're not afraid, now you can seek my kingdom first. You can be generous. You can trust God's provision. You can build my kingdom and not your own. I want you to act in faith. I want you to be generous in a somewhat a risky way sometimes. I want your generosity to require faith. And I want you to prioritize my kingdom, Jesus said. Just ask the Lord, when you get an abundance of possessions, what shall I do? And let the answer be, tell me how to build your kingdom with it. What does that look like? 
build God's kingdom, seek God's kingdom first. And he says, all these things will be added unto you. He will take care of you. And like I said, I don't have time for a whole theological caveat around here because obviously there are Christians in the world who die because they have no food. That happens, and we're not ignorant of that. So I think what he means isn't that it won't be hard or that it won't even cost you your life. But what he means is I'll give you everything you need for as long as I want you here. And as soon as my time for you is done, and tragically because of sin in the world, sometimes it's way, easy, way, way sooner than we would like with many people. But as soon as my time with you is done, I will call you home. And it might be through not having what you need. So the point of this text isn't everything will work out a honky-dory in this life for you, and that if I give my life to the kingdom, God's going to bless me back with a, you know, all these additional resources. And he does that sometimes. He does that sometimes. But it might mean I give, I trust, I don't receive what I need, I die, and I go to be with Jesus. And we need to be okay with that reality. He's not guaranteeing that you're going to live as long as you'd like or have everything that you need for as long as you need it. He's saying, I will give you what you need to keep you here as long as your time is here. As long as I, you know, the Bible says God has counted your days. He's numbered them in a book. It's already done. The amount of days you're going to live is a wrap. You can't change that. And so now God says, listen, that's done. I'm going to give you what you need for as long as you need it. So I just wanted to address that because we're like, okay, well, he doesn't actually give everybody they need. Christians die. And yes, of course they do. And I think this is the reason for that because real life is not found in the abundance of your possessions but in a relationship with Jesus. And we can lose our actual life and maintain our real life. Okay? So give away. So be careful. Fear not and give away. This is the last part here. He says, sell your possessions. Give to the. So this is the action item. I just want you to think about everything behind that. Be careful. Don't be afraid, and now give away. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Here's the line, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So once again, check your receipts. Where is your treasure? And where is your heart? Wherever your bank account says about what you love is what you love. What kingdom you're building is what kingdom you're building. Your bank account, your receipts will tell you that. It'll tell you where your heart is. And for many of us, it's going to be really hard. Your schedule will tell you this. What does your schedule say about your heart? How are you being generous with your time? Your lifestyle will tell you this. What does your lifestyle say about your heart? These are all very practical things to help us know what's in our heart. But the key point here is giveaway. I want you to see what he's doing. Is he saying, A, be careful. When you receive, think about it. You know, be careful with the stuff that you have. Greed is coming after you. Fear is coming after you. Be careful. And then he says, I know that if you're thinking about giving stuff away, before you give it away, I have to address your anxiety. I have to address your fear. So I'm going to tell you, don't be afraid. Why should you not be afraid, man? Because I love you. I love you more than you love yourself. I love you so much. And it is my pleasure to give you my kingdom forever. And so if that's true, how much more true is it that I will give you what you need for as long as I think you need it while you're on this earth? You can trust me. You can trust me. I am your father. I love you. You can trust me. And then with that foundation, be careful. Trust your father. Don't be afraid. Now you give away. And so many of us, when we're trying to be obedient, we just go to the third step and we skip the first two. And we don't let the Father speak to our anxieties. And we don't practice care. And so some of you don't budget and you try to be generous and now you're in a mess. Because you didn't practice care. And now you're like, well, being generous doesn't work out. And it's because you weren't careful over here. To be generous requires care. You can't be generous until you've planned exactly what you need, how much you need it, how much can you give away. You have to think about that. And you have to assess your situation and be careful. 
You have to put a limit on the stuff that you buy, the things that you can do, so then you can be generous. Generous is an act. It's an intentional act, and it starts with care. And then the second thing is Jesus wants to release your fear. He said, don't be afraid. Trust me. And we've tried to jump into the obedience of giving because we're substituting giving for generosity, and we can't be generous because we've never been careful or addressed our fears. So Jesus is building an argument here to say, okay, be careful, and don't be afraid. I want you to be generous and to give away. The final call is an action step to be extravagantly generous. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that don't grow old. With money bags that don't grow old. This is, this is so important for us to think about giving away. So in light of this text, in light of a spirit of generosity, and in light of our next steps as a church, with this in mind, I wanted to give you a few different things that are coming ahead uh, with our church, with the new building uh, and for us to have the right and appropriate mindset towards being generous in this way. So a couple of things. The first is that we're working on some renovation plans now. Be praying. We'll update you as we learn things. Uh, right now, Dale Sutherland is helping basically run uh, what we're doing with all that and the relationships with the contractor. And kind of has a little committee where he's helping assess some of these things. So if you have questions about the building, you can contact Dale. Uh, Dale at wearecitylight.org. He'd love to explain certain things to you. You can talk to him. He said he'd give you your phone number or whatever. I'd give you his phone number. Uh, so you can address those things with him. So we're working on some renovation plans. The building requires some effort and some help to get it in a good space, and help requires money, okay? So that would be one thing. We need to be generous so that we can get it in the right space. And we're being very careful. We are not saying, how can we make it as nice as we can? We're saying, how can we make it as functional as possible? So the goal is not to build some extravagant thing or to, to fix everything that could be wrong. Because we could spend, I'm telling you, like $100,000 trying to fix everything that could be wrong. Uh, but we're saying what, what can make it functional, what can make it healthy, what can make it good as opposed to extravagant. So just know that as we, as we do that, those are our goals. Those are our goals. Those are our goals. Aesthetically pleasing, of course. We're not trying to make it ugly. Uh, but we're saying how can we make it most functional, uh, which means there will be a lot of things we don't address before Easter. And we'll be doing these things in phases and being as financially responsible as possible. So uh, renovation plans, you can contact Dale. We're working on that. Uh, mark your calendar for March 21st, 28th, and April 4th. I'm asking you to be generous with your time because we're going to canvas and serve the area around us so that they know we're coming, so that they know we're there. So we haven't assessed exactly what times yet. It's more than likely in the morning, I would guess, something like 9 to 12. Uh, but we're still nailing that down in terms of what that looks like. But if you can go ahead and mark your calendar, March 21st, March 28th, and April 4th. We're going to be in the community uh, serving, and probably some of those days as well, some of you will be in the building uh, trying to, to work on things because by then we'll have a clear plan that our contractor has laid out for us about what he can do and what the congregation can do. Uh, and so that'll be that then. So March 21st, 28th, April 4th is going to be so important for us to be generous with our time, to prioritize letting the neighborhood know that we're there, that we'd love to see them there, and most importantly, let them know that we'd love to serve them in any way possible and assess needs and all those kinds of things. So that's the second thing. Uh, the third thing is that because of the space that we're in and because we're moving into that space on Easter, we're going to be moving to two services as a church. So two services as a church. So I want to explain a couple things to you uh, to help you understand this uh, and kind of go about it the, the way that the Lord, I think, would want us to. The first is very practically the room fits 250 people, 300 max. Uh, when you gather all of our kids in here for worship and everybody's together, we're running around 330, 350. And so it just practically doesn't work. Uh, we cannot literally fit in there right now when everybody is together. So that would be one, uh, one reason that's just very practical, of course. We considered an overflow room and things like that. But what I want us to uh, understand is as we've talked about what we're doing as a church, the goal is always to reach and serve the community. So if we want to reach the community and actually see people come to know Jesus, we need more room and more space. 
We need more seats. And so part of it is us saying, I'm willing to sacrifice some things I like about one service because we want to reach the community, which is going to require more space. And I think God's so in the details with this because I was thinking about this with this text. And it's like us, you know. We can either say like this rich man, yo, we're good. We're full. We've been given an abundance. And we could either sit back and say, man, let's be merry and enjoy that. Or we could say, man, let's see how we can multiply sacrifice what will it take for us to continue to extend what God is doing what will it take on my life and my preferences for us to continue to extend what God is doing what is it going to take and for us practically speaking the first step is two services for us to make room for more people so more people can be reached we literally literally cannot reach that community and bring new people in without making more space and so to stay at one service would say we don't care about reaching anyone else (laughs) that would be the practical outcome of that Say, we like what we have. We've built something amazing. It's really great. I love seeing everybody every time I come. And so let's just keep it that way. And I would say, even if it can be hard, that's not the spirit of what we're here for. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. That was a weak amen, but that's all right. I love y'all anyways. Uh, A couple things to help think through this. One is we have built such an amazing community, and we love eating together and all that. So we're being very intentional. In the morning, there's going to be breakfast, a light breakfast. Think like sort of hotel-ish, without maybe the bacon and eggs, like Waffle Maker. I don't know. Um, So there's going to be breakfast at 8.30, and then there's still going to be lunch after the 11 o'clock. So it'll be 9 and 11, breakfast at 8.30, lunch at 12.30, and we're going to be doing all that together. So what I'm asking of you and me is that Sunday morning we commit to one another. The only reason one service would be a problem is if you came and you left. Okay? This is, your, this is like a little like pastoral, like, okay? It's only a problem if you come and leave. One service is not a problem for your communal experience if you stay and you serve, if you stay till lunch, if you come early for breakfast, if you serve at a service and go to a service. Now, not only do you see everybody you already know, but now you're meeting even more people. So I want to challenge you in that to say we can either build a church based off our preferences and what we enjoy, or we can build a church based off what God is doing in our congregation, and we can say we can say the spirit of each person can be, what will it take for me to continue to press into what God is doing? That's the question for us. And for me to tell you we're doing everything we can to offer the same community experience in two services, but honestly, at the end of the day, it's on your decision. It's about what you decide to do, your level of commitment, whether you're willing to be here for five hours. What does that look like? Are we going to commit to one another and really be here together and sacrifice whatever may be necessary to do that? Or will we continue to keep it as is? And so that's just a little uh, pastoral word to you as well. I think also as I was thinking about this, because look, there's part of me that obviously loves one service, seeing everybody at the same time. It's very like chill. It's a lot easier to do, okay? For my brain, right? This is a lot. I can preach two sermons, that's no problem. But everything else is like, ah, I don't know. You know, the logistics is crazy. Uh, but as we figure it out, it's going to help with parking and all that. But I want to remind you one thing again. This is so important for us as a church, that we live to multiply everything that we do. I want you to multiply your life and make disciples. I want to multiply this church and plant more churches. I want to multiply your lighthouses and raise up apprentices and have more lighthouses. The goal for everything is never to stay as it is, but to multiply. And multiplying is amazing, and it brings a lot of kingdom benefit. It's going to also require some personal sacrifice. So the question then is, how generous are we? How generous are we as a congregation? Last week we said this. This was two weeks ago. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to put this on the door in the, uh, in the new building. 
that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There is not an opportunity problem, only an obedience problem. Do you remember that? This, I have not forgotten this, and I really think I'm going to put it on the door. There's a harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There is not an opportunity problem, only an obedience problem. There is plenty of opportunity and plenty of souls to reap and lives to change. The question is, will we do it? And the question is, will we sacrifice what's needed to be able to do that well and to do that better? We want more laborers in the harvest. Amen? Amen. We need more space to train up more laborers in the harvest. And that's how we're thinking about this. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. It's not an opportunity problem, only an obedience problem. This is one of those things where we say, I'm going to act in obedience so that we can create more opportunity for what God has for us here, raise up more laborers. Finally, one day, this is very important for us, okay, as a church. I'm going to stand up here, and I'm going to ask some of you to go with a church plant. And I'm going to say, here's a leader that we've raised up. Here's a location that we think is helpful, and we need you to go there. And what I'm not going to say is, we have a nice building, unless the Lord does that. What I'm not going to say is the kids' program works as smoothly as it does here. What I'm not going to say is your worship and pre your experience will be the same as it was here. What I'm not going to sell you is I want you to go there and do something else because it will be just as good as the thing you experienced here. What I'm going to tell you is there's opportunity. We need more laborers. This is so important because this is who we have to be if we're going to move into the spaces that God has for us. And we will not plant churches or make more, we will not plant churches or do things forward if we're basing it off of being sold on a bill of goods that my experience remains the same. So we say we could go to church and have one service and my experience could remain the same, but we wouldn't raise up any more laborers or have any space to reach any more people. And we say, okay, what does it take, Lord? And they say, okay, we need more laborers over there. You know, 20 minutes down the road, they need laborers. There's not as many laborers there. We have a lot of laborers here. Uh, nothing will be nearly as what it is here, but you're going to help build it. You're going to go there because we need more laborers over there. And I'm just telling you, that's who we're going to be as a church, and that's who we have to be as a church. And that's the kind of church we will continue to build. That is our MO, and this is what we care about and prioritize. So if we prioritize gener generosity in all of life with our times, talents, and treasures, if we live humbly for others, if we care about the lost and broken, God will be on our side and God will move amongst us. Remember that we're taking seeds God has given us. God gives seeds to sowers. So if we keep sowing seed, he'll keep giving us more seed. I want to close with this. What some call roadblocks, we call runways. Because what once, became, what once was fearful has become exciting. Our life is not in the abundance of possessions, but the abundance of purpose. There's much to do for God. There's much to do with God. There's a great God to know and pursue. And so let's live that purpose out together. What we think is a roadblock, let's turn into a runway. Let's turn fear into excitement. Let's follow the call of God in our life to continue to make a difference with this amazing blessing of a building in this city and in this community. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful, God, just for all you have done for us. We're so thankful for your provision and your help and your guidance. And Lord, we're here for you, God. We're here for you. We're here to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, Lord, we love you. And we're so thankful for this body here. I pray you would continue to make us a generous people. I thank you for the generosity you've already created here. God, all the generosity has led to all these differences being made in the community. I thank you for the work you've already done. And I pray you would continue to do that. And I pray you would make us more generous because we trust you more. 
Lord, give us faith. Lord, we love you so much. God, I pray that this time now we will respond and act according to what you're calling for us. Lord, help us to be careful, to fear not, and to give away. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand and sing with me? And we're going to respond to the Lord together. As always, there's communion in the back, gluten-free. Go remember what Jesus has done for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, please abstain from taking communion. Come join us. I'd love to pray with you down front about what what does it mean to follow Jesus. If you need prayer for anything, please come down front. We'd love to pray with you. Just everybody be intentional to respond to Jesus.